Hello and welcome to Stuff That Interests Me with me, Dominic Frisbee, and this is a surprise impromptu podcast and it's the first podcast I've recorded in goodness knows how many years and it sort of happened spontaneously as a result of a WhatsApp chat that was going on this morning between me and my three guests who I will introduce. Um, I'll each introduce you each in turn, guys, and then just say hello so that the listener knows which of you is which. Uh, but the first of my guests is uh, independent precious metals analyst Ross Norman, frequently the, uh, the uh, gold's number one market timer, according to the LBMA competition. Ross, how are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. Good, very good. And then we have uh, Charlie Morris of ByteTree, the exciting new Bitcoin analytics app. Charlie, how are you doing? Very well under the circumstances. I know one person who's got the virus and I wish him well. I, of course, the Prime Minister too. And how badly has he got it? Well, his wife had it and, um, and passed it to him. He's not as bad as his wife, but his wife's recovering. Okay. And then finally, we have Adam Cleary of Cavanham Capital, old friend and old Bitcoin buddy, Adam Cleary. How are you doing, Adam? Yeah, very well, thanks. Do you know anyone who's got the virus? Uh, several people, unfortunately, yes. Anyone badly uh, or have they all sort of had no it one, quite lightly? No one particularly seriously, thank goodness, thank God. But uh, yeah, no, it, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's touching all of us. Okay, so the reason... Have, um, just, to say, just to say, a couple of friends of mine have got it, both of them are doctors, and um, they describe it as having like flu but less, but longer, long, with a longer tail. They, they didn't seem overly concerned, but... Uh, it's got a long tail attached to it. And it's quite a hard thing to shake, apparently. Oh, so, because I, th- I mean, proper flu is a two-week job, isn't it? Is it two weeks? As long as that could be, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, guys, now the reason we sort of, we decided to have this podcast is I think all four of us in our own different ways, some more extreme than others, are very worried, not so much about the virus itself, but about the consequences of this virus to the nature of the society in which we live. And by that, I mean, you know, there's the old saying is never let a good crisis go to waste. And you often see governments, you know, put up, they can't put up taxes in peacetime, but they can put them up during a crisis. And then taxes never go back to the level they were before the crisis started. So World War One, World War Two, global financial crisis, 2008, all examples of that. And we're seeing this incredible money printing going on. And, you know, at the moment it looks like bailouts, but money printing is just a precedent for taxation by inflation or it is taxation by inflation. So, you know, money printing means the expansion of the state, basically. We're seeing that, but we're also seeing this incredible draconian, you know, you can only go out and if you go out at a certain time and without good reason, then you can be arrested or fined and so on. So we're all a bit worried about, that and I'm going to start. I think I'm going to start with. I'm going to guess on a sort of scale of one to ten that Adam is the most concerned about what's going on, and Ross is probably the most moderate, and Charlie and Charlie somewhere in between. So why don't I start with you, Charlie, uh, as the sort of as the in betweener, and, and 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 just give us your comments on what's going on. Well, I imagine the, the, if you're a politician, what are you thinking? That if you had protected the vulnerable people in society, i.e. the elderly uh, and, uh, and uh, people with conditions, then, then you run the risk of having um, a pretty awful um, set of photographs on the front page of the Daily Mail in the weeks ahead, and it's all your fault. 
So the only thing you can do really is by shutting down the entire economy. So all um, elected politicians have come to the same conclusion that there's no possible way they can beat the Daily Mail. And so they have to take the action they've taken. Um, and, you know, on the face of it, it sounds like the noble thing to do because we're saving life in the short term. But I think the thing that's going to come out of this conversation is that actually the, 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 the greater risk is the breakdown of society. And, um, you know, I really hope it doesn't come to that. But a lot of people have lost their jobs. We know that last week, 3.3 um, million Americans lost their job and claimed for unemployment. That's a lot of people in one week. Now, you could say America's great because they get on with it and do it quickly um, and then put the pain behind them and then move forward. So it's, maybe you could be constructive about that and say, well, they're, you know, they're, they're taking early pain, whereas Europe will, will lag it. Um, but how do you look at it? There's a lot of people who are under pressure, a lot of families um, who are stuck in homes in cities which aren't very big with young kids. Uh, and it's awful. It must be really, really awful for them. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that it's going um, it, it, to end particularly well. I suppose that the, you know, when we come out of this, do we expect a V-shaped recovery and the world to go back to normal? No. I think things are going to be very, very different in the future. I think business travel is going to, um, to, to, to be way down on what it is in the past. I mean, to justify getting on a plane and going to the other side of the world um, is going to take a lot now because we have these communications that we've proven during this last couple of weeks that they work pretty well. So society is going to change at the personal level. People are going to lose jobs. They're going to lose livelihoods. Um, and and um, I, I, just, I just can't imagine how we got to where we are, how it's happened so quickly. And, um, and, I, and, and I am a little worried about the future. I can comment as, on that, Charlie, as someone who works in the entertainment industry. Um, like it, comedy, live comedy, just it was. It was two weeks ago. It was a week ago on Tuesday, so ten days ago now. It just stopped almost overnight. There was most of the gigs went ahead two weekends ago, and then suddenly on the Tuesday, all gigs got cancelled. Now I'm quite lucky because I do various different things. I've got various income streams, but every single comedian who relies on comedy for his, for his um, work just had their job taken away. There was just literally every, and suddenly their diaries are all completely empty. And this isn't just comedians, it's musicians, the theater, acting, the film industry. My brother-in-law's um, a, a celebrity boxer. He, he, all the fights that he puts on have been canceled. His gym, um, that he ran, he's had to close that down. All the punditry he did, he's had to stop doing that. It's just amazing. It's just, and it was instant, almost overnight, all these livelihoods disappeared. So it's a terrifying, and, and, and some of it just isn't going to come back. Ross, I'm going to come to you last, Adam, because I've got the feeling you're the most um, concerned of all of us about what's going on. But Ross, why don't we get okay. your comments next and then we'll go to the, we'll go to Mr. Extreme, Adam Cleary. <laughs> yeah. Um, one, of, one of the things that strikes me about this particular virus is how ageist it is. You know, it's, it's a particular um, epidemic which is hitting the very elderly. And I, I'm just puzzled that we not simply quarantining the 1.5 million people who are vulnerable, ill, aged, and simply suggesting that they continue in isolation and support them as best we can, um, rather than closing down the whole economy. The death rates amongst the youths is roughly in line with any flu pandemic. So it almost feels as if we're frightened to, to address this in a sensible way. 
anyone who would be a gainsayer, of course, against that, you know, like myself, don't close down the economy, might sound heartless, you know, because people are losing their lives. Three and a half thousand in China, uh, which, by the way, is a rather small number compared to the 1.4 billion Chinese. I mean, in, in the UK, on an average year, we lose some in the region of 17,000 people to influenza. And so far in Britain, OK, I grant you, we're at the early stages. We've, lo- we've, we've, we've lost about 800 people. My sense is there's a degree of fear-mongering going on, and I don't know what the motivation would be, except perhaps to keep the numbers down. But by any, other, any reckoning so far, with looking at China's figures and Indi- Italy's figures, it looks on the face of it to be a regular flu pandemic. And there may, there may well be, maybe we'll only know this in hindsight, but it strikes me that we may have overreacted in crashing the economy, destroying people's livelihoods, as um, again, Charlie just alluded to a moment ago, um, um, when it wasn't necessary. And we need those people working. We need the infrastructure working to look after the vulnerable, after all. So I think that there may be a significant overreaction, but time will only tell on that. Right. Adam, put the boot in for us. Well, I mean, you know, the measures are an unmitigated disaster and uh, extremely inadvisable. And, uh, you know, at one stroke, the government panicking because of a, a, what appears to be a flawed academic study um, has essentially destroyed the UK as a jurisdiction with the rule of law and made it into a jurisdiction with the rule of power, where we have police officers using drones to shame, you know, law abiding citizens who are going for a walk with their dog, um, whilst ignoring the fact that uh, the large cities we basically have the sort of return of, of gang culture and, and breakdown of law and order, reports of central London offices being um, attacked. So the police are going for the easy stuff, scaring people in Hyde Park um, and giving them fines because they dare to sit in the sunshine, um, whilst you know not being willing to stand up and, and uh, deal with, with the serious breakdown of, of social order, which was inevitable as a result of this ill-thought-out, hasty, stupid panicky decision um by by the government now um i have to say one of the few places you think is a good place to go is the park because you tend to be further apart in the park part in the park adam you said it was a flawed study why do you say that well i mean i think it, it appears that that uh you know we were going to have half a million dead and as a result um, the, the Imperial College study sort of said, we're going to have half a million dead. And, and everyone said, oh, my God, we can't do that. And so instantly the government panicked and implemented these draconian measures, which, which uh, as I say, destroy us as, as a jurisdiction of, with the rule of law. Um, and now it appears that, uh, that uh, the same author is saying, oh, well, maybe it'll only be 20,000. And, and actually the NHS is going to manage. And, you know, the number of ventilators is already coming up. But as a result of his actions, he's well, fundamentally changed the UK's position in the world. So we've gone from being a proper serious country with the rule of law uh, going back several centuries to a sort of banana republic type is place. This, is this um, Neil Ferguson you're talking about? Yes. Is that his name? Now, and, you know, why does he... he, economy he I, massively. And the second order effects, just let me finish that, the second order effects will be enormous. So the number of deaths caused by suicides of, of people who've completely lost their jobs, their livelihoods, they've completely lost everything, will be far greater than the damage done as a result directly, the first order consequences. But no one is thinking about the second order and the unintended consequences of these, these actions. 
They don't seem to be. I've got to say, I was, I've been, I've, I, I was straight onto it because I did it in my act, and and there's evidence. If you look at my comedy unleashed gig, you can see me singing about this very thing. But far greater harm comes from the alarm than from mm. the, uh, the disease itself. Um. So, Adam, like, do, do you think we go back to how we were? What 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 happens next? I mean, I I see huge inflation. And it's and it's going to be inflation in the real economy as well, not 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 in the financial one as it was post two thousand and eight. Because money printing is just normal now; it's been normalised. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we have um, a huge depression in economic activity accompanied by, you know, hyperinflation. Because, um, as you say, the printing is is going to be extraordinary and truly gargantuan. Um, and uh, and you know, globally, we have. Well, this dollar shortage, which is hugely deflationary in a sense, but but you, you can have deflation, extreme deflation and hyperinflation are two sides of the same coin, effectively. So um, they're they're the same thing. It it tends to zero. It tends to infinity. Um, so I, I think that uh, uh, it it's going to be a very very hard time, and it will put the the Great Depression to you know uh, into the shade, effectively. Charlie? Yeah, on the inflation side of life, I mean, this crisis starts, I talk, when I talk about the crisis, I'm talking about the economic crisis or the market crisis in reaction to the virus crisis. And by the way, there are three crises going on at the moment. You've got the virus plus oil and plus repo that happened late last year, which was the beginning of the, uh, of the money printing. So I think you've kind of got, and you probably have some other small ones as well, but three big ideas on top of each other, which uh, tend to make things pretty ugly. And, and what we started to see um, um, a couple of weeks ago was the collapse in inflation expectations. So the opposite of what you're suggesting, which was very 2008, um, you know, that's a sort of liquidity event and all the rest of it. And then as soon as the heroes from the Fed came, came forward, their printing presses, um, those numbers went straight back to normal. And so all, any, any idea that there was going to be um, some sort of depression, de- de- depression um, a deflationary depressionary bust um, was suddenly out of the window uh, because the, because the long term inflation expectations told you uh, the value of money was now going to go down, uh, not up. Sorry, I don't mean up. I mean stable. So the stabilisation of money, uh, which is which is you know, two thousand eight was a very strong force because deflation goes down so much. You can buy more with your money um, after the event than before. But but the message from the market now is is that's no longer true. So don't expect a deflationary bust in the long term. Um, expect money to devalue. That doesn't mean to say that the economy can't be pretty weak. Um, um, and w- what about you, Ross? W- w- are we going to see further erosion in the purchasing power of fiat money? Unquestionably. And, and, and I know I was tempted to bring everything back to gold. Um, but we've seen epic mo- movements only this week in the precious metals markets. Um, ordinarily, the bid offer spreads between um, market participants, the interbank market is about 0.06%. And it blew out to 7%. Um, only this week, the difference between the physical and the futures market, again, nominally, just one or two bucks, again, blew out to 100 bucks. What we're seeing is um, fantastic price volatility and also premiums blowing out as well. What it's suggesting, and gold is often described as the sum of all fears, through gold, through the kaleidoscope of gold, we're seeing that it's getting difficult to know what the true value or price of things are. Um, the compass, which you used to formally 
point quite narrowly in a, in a certain direction, now wavers, now quivers in a very wide arc. And that's because liquidity has fallen off in markets. Um, and you haven't got the mass of people on the bids and on the offers to validate, authenticate a given price. So at the moment, through the eyes of gold, you know, a normally a very stable and steady market that um, uh, pretends to be the gold the grown up in the room of financial markets, um, itself has been shaken this week. Um, we've had the best week we've seen for best well, well 12 years, only, only uh, last week in terms of price movements. So gold is a good reflection of the wider economy. And at the moment, gold is, yes, trending higher, but it's very volatile and very uncertain. And that's very ungold-like. Um, and I think that instability may well permeate into the rest of the economy. Will we see the destruction of uh, fiat currencies or the indeed the euro, as some are suggesting? Only time will tell. This crisis, in a way, and I, I know this sort of smacks slightly of conspiratorial thinking, comes at quite a convenient time for a reset. There's an awful lot out there uh, in terms of debt and other areas that probably need to be reset. So in a sense, it's quite a good cover, good time to bury bad news, if you like. Uh, but we'll see. Charlie, now I know you've got some some views on gold. I, I think you even called a sell on it in uh, uh, something I read earlier in the week what, what, what's your take on gold yeah it's because it comes come back to this idea that the the solution at the moment the financial solution at the moment is to um is to take the pressure off the the, the, the system and uh, for the dollar to go down therefore the pound has to go up um gold's already done quite a lot but to, to ross so, so, the, so, so what i was saying there was that was that gold was kind of exhausted now gold basically loves a bit of bad news but doesn't like a lot of bad news um, that's not directly inflationary and and that's that's really what we're seeing right now um, cash is king and so the liquidity factor starts to, to, to kick in more you know gold was really really good um, in, in you know really since since, since um, 18 months ago um, and it's, and it's it's done well as you know the, the news got a little bit worse here and there but then as the news gets terrible then people just liquidate um, and, and they seek cash. I think I think that's the lesson of 2008, and that's the lesson of recent weeks. But actually, with notwithstanding the fact that gold has been pretty rational according to uh, the sort of macro dynamics that that I would follow um, in how to in how to read it and so on, um, it's kind of done what you expect it to do. Um, I'm going to so, go. I'm just going to question that because I I know that in 2008 gold fell along with everything else, and and the same goes for Bitcoin now. You know, Bitcoin had its sell off a couple of weeks ago along with everything else because, you know, people are just trying to get cash wherever they can, and you know it's basically the global margin call scenario. But what I found really interesting about the gold markets at the moment is the fact that the refineries have shut down and and a lot of the mines have shut down as well, and so there really is no supply. And so there is this dislocation between the futures markets that don't quite know when the supply is going to come back, at which point it becomes extremely risky to start selling gold forward, particularly if you haven't got the gold to sell. <laughs> and so, um, you know, there's this sort of dislocation between the actual spot market and the futures market that, that you know, a lot of the sort of gatter gold bugs, the hardcore guys have been talking about this this moment for years and for example james turk was emailing me yesterday <laughs> saying i you know cracking open the champagne in his metaphorically in his email so a lot of guys yeah, think that truth is going to come back to the gold price as a result of this yeah before I, we've got to send this back to the others but, but i just want to yeah, get a, a word in here quickly because i'm actually writing a piece on this right now and okay. um so it is it is it is pretty relevant i i think that 
you know, this is a storm that will pass. I mean, there are lots of storms that won't pass, but this one will, because at some point the refiners will get back open. And underlying the whole thing is that in America, you've got a thing called imperial, where they have inches and ounces. And in Britain, we have a thing called metric, where we have kilos and meters and so on. Not for much longer. (laughs) <laughs> and um, and so, you know, the American gold system is imperial, the British gold system is metric, and they don't mix. That's all it is. And there are various contracts that play between the two and, and delivery systems and so on. But if you can't physically change your kilo bar into a into a um, an, um, an imperial bar, your metric bar into an imperial bar, then, then you've got a bit of a problem. So, but that problem will go away. So I know James Turk, lovely, lovely guy. Alison McLeod was on the phone to him yesterday. I love all these people. Um, but, but, you know, it's a storm that will pass and it doesn't matter. And as I said to them, it's a first world problem. Um, I think Ross, you're right. Yeah, the fungibility of contracts, you know, London spot, the purity of the size of bars. New York is 100 ounces. We're 400 ounces. We're 995. Shanghai is four nines. It's a nonsense, really, for anyone looking in on the market that we're all speaking different languages. Um, and, of course, it didn't matter until it does. And that moment is when you can't move it. The April contract, April futures contract, had a bit of a crisis um, as it rolls um, because many of those who were short were asked to deliver, and they couldn't because of supply issues. The supply chain is broken. And so they were forced to pay $100 an ounce premium to get metal in uh, that, could, that, that found difficulty flying across the Atlantic. But where's, so, where's so, the gold I mean, going to come into London from? I, I accept that they can sort it out. New York, the, New York. Where, it has to go into New York. Yeah, but where's it going to... The, the, if the LBMA is bailing out New York, effectively, where's the gold into London going to come from? Well, London's got plenty. It's got 8,246 tonnes. I mean, it's not a lack of gold. It's the lack of the right form in the right location at the okay, right time. Fine. Um, normal market mechanisms, arbitrage, allow all that fluidity to occur. So this is not really... How come London's got 8,000 tonnes? Well, it's various forms. It's ETFs, it's central bank holdings, it's interbank market holdings. Yeah, but if one person owns it, why should it go to the futures market? Well, there's a market. If someone's prepared to buy at a premium, loco New York, it costs you a dollar, typically to move an ounce of gold from London to New York. If, you, if they're paying $100, local New York, for gold, you're going to ship as much as you can quickly to seize that arbitrage. So there's a profit potential in there for somebody looking at the, 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 the price difference going on there. So like water, gold finds a level, and arbitragers will seek to try to minimize those differences. The problem is that those differences cannot be ironed out when aircraft aren't flying. Uh, you can't literally take advantage of those, those, those opportunities. <laughs> So it's Adam, a moment in time only. Adam, is this the time where we should be betting the house on gold and Bitcoin and, 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 and running for the hills? I mean, I think, I think so in general, yes. And uh, I accept what Charlie says and Ross says. And in normal circumstances, I agree that gold would look exhausted and, and it's probably going to pull back and all these sort of things. But I think what, what we've learned in the last week or so is that, you know, this is a time for sudden discontinuities. This is a time for... Um, charts and relationships to sort of suddenly break down in the most dramatic way. So just as there is every chance that the storm will pass, and just as absolutely in 90% of cases you could say that the price will, will, will pull back as because, because the model, because tips, because whatever, there is just the same chance that there will be a sort of discontinuity similar to the discontinuity in the unemployment rate in the US where, where 
you know, you, you suddenly have 3 million claims. So suddenly you could have a zero on the price of gold because there is an enormous discontinuity in, in the world market. And I think the potential for that means that, that you know, even if you sort of look at charts and say, oh, it, you know, it's done what it's going to do and we're going to go back to normal. I, I think, you, you know, you have, to, you have to be involved and you have to think that this is the only place that, that you can be at this time. Um, Charlie, you, you gave a buy signal on Bitcoin the other day, but not on gold. Well, I think I've, I've long said that Bitcoin's a growth asset and gold um, is, is a defensive asset. And uh, one of the one of the pitches I made was was um, that you know, a really good idea for a portfolio is is gold and growth. And so, for example, you've got a big pile of gold, and you've got loads of Nasdaq e tech stocks, including Bitcoin. And um, that makes a lot of sense because they, they tend to be counter cyclical to one another. The narrative in Bitcoin has been that it is the electronic gold. And I've just said that's wrong. I've always said um, it's a risk on asset. And so it proved to be when there's a liquidity event, um, it's sold off aggressively, just like it was part of the stock market. And indeed, that's, that's had that strong correlation. Now, on the full, um, the, the buy tree fair value um, came into play. You know, we always thought Bitcoin was worth about 6,800. It was trading above 10,000. So we, we said, well, it's overvalued. Um, and it came down to 5,000. And some of our net, some, some of our, you'd have to look at our website, buytree.com. And, and it'll, it's all there. I don't want to bore, bore you now. But, but basically, we have six different signals. And we had a five out of six buy signal um, last Friday. So a week ago today. And... Uh, and that was it. You know, there's a condition for uh, for Bitcoin to go up. And over the last five or six years, you know, our model, um, which doesn't trade very often, um, basically about once a year, um, is 20 times better than buy and hold. And that's that's 20 times. Wow. That's good stuff. Um, uh, we, we have a government banning us walking outside with dogs. How long will it be before they close the stock market? How long will it be before they close the banks? You know, I, I'm sorry, but, but I think, you know, that now is a time for enormous disruption with the governments, that are, with the government, governments all around the world that are behaving in the most extraordinary manner. You know, completely arbitrary, stupid, illogical decision making, hasty, panicky and, and just, just bizarre de- decisions that would be, you know, unheard of only a week ago. So I, I really I'm, 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 I'm not sure that the usual rules apply. Um, and I think it's. it's advisable to be in assets that that are not constrained by you know government regulators and government rules because they they all seem to have collectively lost their mind well i I understand though adam like why the governments would say because effectively we have sort of government by the daily mail if is was what we sort of described at the beginning and no politician wants to be the guy who said you must carry on walking down the street when in fact the virus was spreading on the street and all these poor people died as, as a result. No politician wants that blood on their hands, which is why they're taking the decisions that they're taking. But, but I, no politician, or, nor do they want, I mean, why do they want markets to close? They want markets to be open. They want things to be going well. And so in their heads, this is temporary. Yeah, you know, well, they think it's going to go back in a month's time, you know, or two months or three months, whatever, Weatherspoons is going to be open again and we'll all be drinking in the pub. But they want it to be open when it goes up. But if it goes down substantially to reflect, you know, the real prices, then they'll want it closed, basically, because people will say, oh, we're losing our pensions or some some other idiotic narrative like that. So, so I, I mean, 
And, so, and what happened, so they closed the stock market and, and, and what, what then? their hands from a few pictures in the Daily Mail, but they do want blood on their hands of hundreds of thousands of people who are going to lose their jobs. And, and you know, we have WhatsApp groups with, with guys just suicidal, at having lost everything. You know, it's just incredible how short-sighted these people are. There will be more deaths from the second-order consequences of these, these decisions than, than there will be from, from the virus, basically. Okay. Now, guys, we're running out of time. We've got like five minutes left before my Zoom <laughs> my free zoom thing runs out um i, I want to ask you all three of you how bad is this recession going to be stocks have had a bit of a bounce as we're recording this should we be buying stocks or should we be taking advantage of this opportunity to sell them uh, ross why don't you go first how bad is this recession going to be i, I think it's a you know it, it's, it's a case of um burying bad news at a good time if you like and i think that this 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 recession um, this this coronavirus and the recession are interlinked. Um, I know it's conspir- it sounds conspiratorial, but it's a convenient time that this has come upon us. And I think the government's reaction to the virus has been has, has been far too heavy-handed. My only big takeaway from the virus itself is that we find ourselves better prepared for the next one. Uh, the UK has only five thousand ventilators, and Germany's got twenty-five thousand ventilators. A country roughly the same size. Uh, I know it's. Um, form to ever deliver any criticism at the NHS uh, but this is a case of, of, of being adequately prepared and having adequate stock and adequate ICU beds as well so let's let's pray that we have that prepared for next time in terms of financial markets in terms of I, I can speak only in terms of gold and I, uh, Charlie was saying there he felt he had done a good thing and perhaps was looking exhausted I, I feel kind of the same way as well I don't think gold's actually dry, being driven at the moment on the, on, on coronavirus news it's being driven more by long-term uh, treasuries. In the 10-year treasury, I think it's currently at 80 basis points. So, so long as you've got negative yields, gold will look attractive. Uh, and I think the 18% year uh, gain we saw last year will be eclipsed this year by a slightly better gain this year. So it's a safe haven. Um, gold is doing what it should do. At the moment, it's in a state of flux, but I think it will uh, re- re- regain its composure in the short term. Modestly higher is what I see for gold. Okay, Charlie, um, tell us how bad is this recession going to be and should we be buying stocks or not? The recession, I think, is going to be very, very bad indeed. I think there's going to be a sting on the tail because I think the real world's going to, going to um, struggle to recover in the way we'd like it to. The, what's effectively happening in the stock market is the uh, continuation of the old trends. So we had, um, for the last few years, we've had growth stocks go up, value stocks um, not do so well, some of them went down. Recently, everything's gone down, but the value stocks have gone down a lot. Now, the rebound, if it was a proper recovery rebound, they'd expect value, value stocks uh, to show their hand and say, all's well. But, um, but I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing tech leadership in this, in this bounce. Well, tech's um, going to be less affected, isn't it? Because, you know, we're all we're using the Internet. We're using tech more than more than ever as a result of this. Precisely. But you but it, when this when the recession is over, the stock market will go the other way and say, I'm sick of tech. You know, we've had enough of that. The prices are too high and it will start to say the, the, the parts of the real economy are going to survive. What a bargain. Let's go. You know, oil's going to go from 20 to 50 or whatever it is. And that's a bloody good trade. Um, and, and so but that's not coming um, in the short term. It hasn't been part of the, the rebound in stocks this week at all. Um, so I think that we're going to have to 
um, except the fact that um, the, the message from the market so far is, yes, a, a medium-term low is in. It's very unlikely the FTSE goes below 2,000 or the S&P goes below 2,200 for a few um, weeks or months, probably months, uh, but it could go down in the autumn if, if there's a sort of aftershock. Um, but I think we've had a proper capitulation, 1929, um, LTCM, 2008-type um, event. Very, very unlikely to see a, see a, a new low in the short term. Um, but but I think that the safe haven is tech, and that's where to be. And Adam, how bad is the recession going to yeah. be? Hi. Um, what do we do? Well, pretty terrible. Um, I agree with uh, what Charlie said, essentially. I think that's right, that, that uh, in general... I, I think the, the real damage is um, that, that we don't live in a state of the rule of law, and therefore I think that the valuation of any cash flow in a state where power is arbitrary and where there is no governance and no law, where politicians make decisions sort of, you know, out, out of emotion effectively, is, is, is the valuation of those cash flows is very different to the valuation of cash flows in a proper serious country. And the UK ceased to be that on the 23rd of March and uh, became sort of, you know, very lame ungoverned sort of place and so i think uh, you know in terms of the uk i think it's it been immensely damaging um and and you know i think globally it's going to be a very very hard time all righty well gents um we've got less than a minute to go in this recording so uh thank you very much for listening uh, ross norman adam cleary charlie morris thank you very much for participating and um We'll try and get together next week when we're all uh, on WhatsApp again and maybe do another one next week. Gentlemen, this is, my name's Dominic Frisbee. Thank you very much.